Nick, I'm very disappointed. Eat, sleep, links, repeat. Boom, let's party! Is your brain big enough? Welcome. This is the Atari Lynx Handicast. This is episode 02, ElectroCop. And, here now, is your host, Mark Little. Thank you, Monty. Welcome everyone to episode 02 of the Atari Lynx Handicast. In this episode, I cover ElectroCop, part number PA2021 by Atari and developed by Epix Games, the original designer of the handy game system. First of all, I'd like to thank everybody for their feedback for Episode 01 Blue Lightning. I really appreciate it, and the more feedback I get, the more engaging I think the Handicast can become. Uh, I have a little bit of an addendum to that episode. I've got a link in the show notes of this episode and also of Episode 01 about the article The Making of Blue Lightning, which I did not know about at the time of recording the last episode. Uh, It was written by Kieran Hawken, and it was in Retro Gamer Magazine. So I really appreciate Kieran passing that article on to me. The link to that article is in the show notes. I'd also like to thank two people, Igor at AtariGamer.com and TrekMD at RetroGamer.co.uk. They're both helping promote the Handicast, and I really appreciate it. There are links in the show notes for both websites. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about today's game, ElectroCop. Statistics. ElectroCop is a 128 kilobyte stereo cartridge available on all three variations, flat, ridged, and curved lip. It was released by Atari in September of 1989, was one of the original launch titles for the Atari Lynx. The original retail was $34.99. It's a horizontal scrolling third-person action shooter for one player. Uh, The game does not make use of the Comlinks cable. ElectroCop was inspired by, or a sequel to, the Epic's home computer console game Impossible Mission, which was originally for the Commodore 64 and was later ported to the Apple II, the Atari 7800, the ZX Spectrum, the Acorn Electron, the BBC Micro, the Amstrad CPC, and the Sega Master System. There was a sequel to Impossible Mission called, interestingly, Impossible Mission 2. It was released in 1988. There was another sequel called Impossible Mission 2025, which was released for the Amiga in 1994. The screenplay field orientation for ElectroCop is landscape. ElectroCop was never ported to any other system, although there is evidence that it was possibly planned for the Atari 7800 system. ElectroCop was housed originally in a standard tab cardboard carton, was available in the large box, 7 and 5 eighths inches high, 5 and a half inches wide, and 7 eighths inches deep. And of course it was available later in a regular size box, which is 5 and 3 eighths inches high by 4 and 3 eighths inches wide and 7 eighths inches deep. The front of the carton includes mostly green artwork with a fully decked out policeman. He's wearing a blue suit with a yellow sash and a yellow belt. He's also pointing a laser gun towards the left-hand side of the box, and he's wearing a blue and yellow helmet. Right next to him, to his left, at the lower right-hand side of the box, is a little girl wearing a red dress and a white blouse, and she has blonde pigtails. In the background, the officer and the little girl are standing inside a large green room with two robots at the back of it. They're basically biped robots. One of them is yellow and red, and one of them is gray. At the top of the box is the Atari Lynx video game card logo in black, yellow, and red. Beneath that and across the top part of the artwork are the words ElectroCop in a connected type of font that sort of looks like neon lights. 
It's a light blue with white outline. And of course on the right hand side we have the familiar gray band that goes down the right hand side of the box. There are embossed styled X's in this band. On the back of the box is a smaller version of the Atari Lynx video game card logo in black, gray, yellow, and red. Beneath that in blue neon style letters is the word Electrocop. Beneath that is a screenshot of the game and it looks like it's the Electrocop running from right to left in front of one of the doors that is required to be opened. At the top it tells how much time is left, 58 minutes, 25 seconds, and there seems to be an explosion going on in the upper left hand side of the screenshot. Beneath that are four paragraphs. Again, I won't read all four of them. I'll just read the first one and the last one. The first one is, The notorious criminal brain has kidnapped the president's daughter. I guess that's the little girl on the front of the box. The criminal brain's ransom demand is completely unacceptable. Total control of the world or the first daughter dies. You, Electrocop, are the only one capable of rescuing the president's daughter before time runs out. If you fail, the criminal brain will assassinate her without pity. In today's day and age, that's rather gruesome. The very last paragraph reads, Do you have what it takes to rescue the president's daughter and serve justice to the world's most evil criminal? Perform your sworn duty as an officer of the law. But remember, this rescue mission is not as straightforward as it sounds. Beneath all that is the standard Atari copyright information. Atari, the Atari logo, Electrocop, and Lynx are trademarks or registered trademarks of Atari Corporation. Copyright 1989, Atari Corporation, Sunnyvale, California, 94086. Software copyright Epics Incorporated, all rights reserved, and beneath that, printed in USA. And, of course, we have the requisite FBI seal on the far right bottom corner of the carton. Above that seal, it says winners don't use drugs, and beneath that, the name William S. Sessions, Director, FBI. The manual for Electrocop is a folded six-page booklet in monochrome. It was available originally in a larger booklet, six and five-eighths inches high by four and three-quarters inches wide. That's the one I have. It was available later in a regular size booklet, four and seven-eighths inches high by three and three-quarters inches wide. And my larger copy is in English. The front of the manual, as I said, it's a fold-out. The first page is basically a repeat of the front of the carton, only in monochrome, except for the outline of the word links in the logo at the top is actually in sort of a rusty red. On page two, just inside, there are the same four paragraphs that are on the back of the box. Then followed by getting started instructions, in case you didn't know how to open up a Lynx 1. That continues on the middle page, which I guess is really page 3. At the top of that page in a red band, it says in white letters, Rescue the President's Daughter. So obviously that's the goal of the game. Under playing the game, it says Infiltrate the Criminal Brain Steel Complex and Rescue the President's Daughter Before Time Runs Out. Maneuver through the mazes and avoid deadly traps. Beware of the evil denizens of the criminal brain. Use the joypad to move Electrocop as you rush through the hallways of the Steel Complex. Look for more powerful weapons to help you battle the criminal brain's evil guardians. And as you move through the hallways, look for openings and doorways in all directions. Many doorways cannot be found unless Electrocop faces towards you. Walls and creatures between Electrocop and the screen appear transparent. That's actually kind of a neat trick that they did to sort of make it look like it's 3D. I thought at first it might be a little jarring to play the game that way, but it's actually pretty easy and you can actually knock off a few robots just by pointing at yourself when you see a transparent robot go by. Continuing, there are many obstacles to avoid. These include robots, electric doors, and others you will discover for yourself. Most obstacles damage you and your weapons. Keep a close eye on the health bar on the left side of the screen. If your health gets low, find the nearest computer fast. The same goes for your weapons. Watch the display for each weapon on the right side of the screen. The top bar shows the weapon's charge. More powerful weapons have a greater charge. The yellow bar shows the weapon's status. If the yellow bar gets short, the weapon is damaged and must be repaired. If you fail to repair a weapon in time, you will lose that weapon. Watch for the white floor squares on some levels. Stepping on a white square causes Electrocop to slide and spin out of control. This is especially dangerous when enemies are nearby. We're now on page 4 where it gives some direction on moving and shooting. And it says, To fire a smart bomb, press option 1. Smart bombs destroy all nearby enemies. To drop a weapon, you can press option 2. To fire a weapon, press A. You control the direction of movement by pressing the joypad, or the D-pad as we know it, in the desired direction. To make Electrocop duck or stand up from his ducked position, press B, and then hold down to jump. 
I found this the hardest move to actually do, and I never really got the hang of it. Finally, on page four, there's some strategy. It says, use the computer often. It will save your life. Look for exit signs, but beware. Some exit signs transport you to the next level, but others will take you where you don't want to go. Keep track of exits you may want to avoid in the future. Learn to recognize and use different kinds of weapons. Also, remember where to find the weapons. If you lose your weapon, you will need to find another one as quickly as possible. And finally, don't waste valuable time waiting while the computer searches for the correct door codes. If you continue working in the halls, then return to the door later. The computer remembers and acknowledges the code. That's important to remember when playing this game because if you use what's called the icebreaker program to figure out the code to open the door, they actually provide you with three little games. One is asteroids, one is a breakout, and one is a little sliding tile puzzle. And you could waste your time playing those, but it doesn't really get you any further in the game. My suggestion is if you start the icebreaker, go ahead and leave and then come back to it later. You can knock off some more robots and get some more weapons while you're waiting for the code to be found. And sometimes it can take a couple of minutes. On page 5 of the manual, it says using the brain's computer. And this is where we get into a little bit of what I was just talking about. There are six things that you can see when you go onto the computers. And you just press the joypad up or down to highlight a section and then press A. You will see a list of things, and the first thing you'll see is a directory for information. And you select that for information regarding robots, weapons, and utility programs. Then follow the menus to select the desired information file. There's also a directory for the programs themselves. And you just select to run a program. There are two programs to choose from, Stasis and Icebreaker, and use the information directory to learn about the programs. I already told you what the Icebreaker is. Then finally, there's the games directory. And I told you about those too. Play one of three classic computer games. These games will take time to play and will not help you find the president's daughter, but they are a good way to relieve the stress caused by your dangerous quest. Press either option button to quit any of the three games. It's kind of interesting that they've got three games in the game for you to play while you're waiting for the game that you're in to figure out the code for the door. The fourth thing on the menu is Open Door, and this is where you enter the secret code to unlock the door. One of the computer programs will search for the code. Well, spoiler alert, I just told you it's Icebreaker. But this takes time. You do not need to wait around while the computer searches for the correct code. There's work to be done. Of course, if you know the code, you can open the door without waiting. And later on in the podcast, I'll actually tell you a little bit about how you can find out what the codes are pretty quickly. The fifth thing on the menu is the med pack. And here's what it says in the manual about that. They say time heals all wounds, but you don't have much time and the computer does the job a lot quicker. Keep track of the computer's location so you can hurry back after a furious battle. You don't want to become dust during a frantic search for a med pack. This option may not always appear on the computer. Each computer has only one med pack. Once you use it, it's gone. That's good to know because you only have 60 minutes to play this game, and it's actually real-time 60 minutes. The sixth thing on the menu is the weapon repair, and this is important too. It says in the manual, The computer instantly repairs your weapons. Use this option often to avoid losing your weapons because you forgot to repair them. This option may not always appear on the computer. Each terminal can only repair weapons once. Finally, on the last page of the manual, which is page 6, there is a breakdown of the scoring. You score by destroying evil guardians, exiting a level, and opening doors. You receive 1,000 points for each door you open with a code. You receive bonus points when you exit a level. And here are the things that break down, and they actually have little icons that show you what these different characters look like. For a walker, which sort of looks like a football with two legs on it, you get 125 points. For a python, which looks nothing like a snake, but actually looks like a propane tank on top of another propane tank with a big 2x4 across the top one, that's a python, you get 250 points. For a mine, which actually looks like a big black circle with five dots in it, it's 375 points. For a wall cannon, which looks like a window with three little cones sticking out of the sill, you get 500 points. For a virus, which looks like an arrow pointing up with four long spindly legs underneath, you get 625 points. And for a stingray, which of course looks nothing like a stingray, but really more like a flying saucer, you get 750 points. At the bottom of the manual is again the Atari copyright information, same as what it was on the carton.
credits. Electrocop was developed by Epix Games. It was produced by Greg Omi. And if you don't know who Greg Omi is, there's a very good interview that was done in 2003 with Greg Omi that's posted on the Atari Times. I'll just read a few highlights from the interview. At the top of the interview, it says, Even if you don't remember Greg Omi from the Atari Lynx days, you probably own at least one game that he has worked on. He worked on Clax, Electrocop, Crash Bandicoot for the PlayStation, or Jackson Dexter for the PS2 are just some of the games he is known for. Greg was kind enough to reach back into his memory to write this exclusive interview for the Atari Times. And that's Greg George. One of the things Greg Omi says in the interview is, I worked with Epix on and off for many years. I would work for a while, get burned out, quit the game industry forever, this time for sure, and then when I was broke, I would get a call with an offer I couldn't refuse. The Lynx, or Handy as we called it, was one of those offers. Chuck Somerville called me up and said, Hey Greg, how would you like to work on a top secret hardware project? I always wanted to work on hardware, so how could I refuse? Epix was a great place to work. The Renaissance comes to mind when I think of those days. I imagine the Manhattan Project had a similar feel. It was the first place I ever worked where all of the programmers were great. No one was great at everything, but everyone had something that they were great at. I learned so much there and really enjoyed the experience. Up to that point, I was always one of the lead guys. It was really nice to be around people who I felt were better than I was. Later on, he talks a little bit about Electrocop. The interviewer asks, Electrocop is an intriguing 3D action game that came along before the whole first-person shooter genre. How hard was it to develop the unusual 3D engine in this game? And Greg replies, At the time, I didn't know anything about 3D or matrices or any of the math that I know now. I wanted to have perspective in my game, so I asked Stephen Landrum how to do it. It turned out I needed to have a multiply and divide, which weren't in the hardware at the time, so I had to write them. As I recall, the Lynx couldn't do lull rotation of sprites. We could only make trapezoids. I think Chuck Somerville was actually trying to do a 3D tank game at that time, but he couldn't get the performance that he needed, so he ended up scrapping that and doing Chip's Challenge in the last month or so. That's all I'll say about the interview. Uh, it's really a good interview, and I would highly recommend that you read it. And, of course, there's a link for it in the Lynx links in the show notes. And just for credit's sake, Greg Omi did receive a credit in Electrocop for the design. He also received a credit in Clax for art and graphics, and he received thanks for the games Miss Pac-Man and Rampage on the links. The artist for Electrocop included Arthur Koch, Karen Mangum, and Matthew Crysdale. Arthur Koch I mentioned in the Blue Lightning episode. He actually worked on several games in the arts and graphics department. Most notably this one, Blue Lightning, California Games, and Ships Challenge. Karen Mangum actually worked on this game and only one other Lynx game, Ishido, The Way of Stones, which was released the next year in 1990. And Matthew Crysdale actually worked on four different Lynx games, Todd's Adventures in Slime World, Zarlore Mercenary, California Games, and of course, Electrocop. Design assistance for Electrocop was by Chuck Somerville, who wrote the animation engine for the intro. Somerville, of course, is a storied animator and engineer who worked at many different companies over his long career. For the Lynx, he worked specifically on Blue Lightning, Zarlor Mercenary, Gauntlet the Third Encounter, Chips Challenge, California Games, and this one, Electrocop. Also helping with design assistance was Charlie Kellner, Tom Schumacher, and R.J. Michael. Charlie Kellner was a developer who also worked on Gauntlet the Third Encounter. Tom Schumacher also worked on Blue Lightning, Xenophobe, and Chips Challenge. And of course, R.J. Michael is the co-creator of the Epic's Handy Game System, which later became the Atari Lynx. He worked on this game, Blue Lightning, and Chips Challenge. You can hear a little bit more about him in the Blue Lightning episode, episode 01. The music and sound for Electrocop was done by Alex, or LX Rudis, and Bob Vieira. Both of them worked on Blue Lightning, and I mentioned them in the previous episode. There's a lot of great music in this game, more so even than Blue Lightning. I'm going to let you hear two parts of it. First, I'll play the in-game opening music for Electrocop. It runs about three minutes. Here it is.
There is in-game music throughout the entire game, of course, but especially when you go into the computer in the game. There are several different musical pieces that are used as background music while you're looking at the directories. One of them is actually the two-part invention in F major by Johann Sebastian Bach. I'll let you hear that now. I can do no better than reading the opening scroll in Electrocop. This is what comes up with some cutscenes when you first turn the game on. June 2069, Washington, D.C. You're a cop. You are summoned to the offices of Megacorp, the world's largest corporation. Your boss orders you to do whatever Megacorp wants. They tell you that an evil robot has kidnapped the president's daughter, stolen some very important government secrets, and now is hiding in an old Megacorp research and development building. The robot believes it's safe because it thinks it's the only one that has the network plugs for the building. Megacorp knows better. Megacorp knows that you have a set of plugs too. Megacorp wants you to find and destroy the robot. Why you? Because you're Electrocop. The best there is. Your robotics body is a powerful, fine-tuned machine. Your analog computer brain is the best money can buy. Your network plugs allow you to access any computer in the world. Though the other robot has probably scrambled the combinations, your programs can unscramble all the locks and get through any door. But who is this other robot? Why have you never heard of it before? Why did it kidnap the president's daughter? And why won't Megacorp tell you anything about the stolen secrets? Something stinks about this whole deal, and you're determined to find out what. They believe that the robot is hiding on level 5. You have one hour to succeed or die. Good luck. In short, gameplay involves working your way through the complex warehouse maze, unlocking the coded doors along the way. Extra weapons can be collected to help dealing with the drones. There are also computer terminals to buy new weapons. These also have simple sub-games built in, which I've already mentioned. What makes the game unique and intended as a showpiece for the Lynx hardware is that full 3D is used and that the character walks in and out of the screen as well as across it. And I have to admit that is actually a fun part of the game. Can anyone handle the power of color? Atari Lynx, the portable video arcade. Links so packed with action, racked with attraction, stacked with more games for total satisfaction. It'll blow you away. Links, more fun and games from Atari. I've got several reviews to read a few excerpts from. Uh, the first one is by Robert Jung at the Atari SIG Historical Archive. Uh, it's actually atarimax.com. I'll read excerpts from a review that he actually wrote in 1992, which was only three years after the game came out. For the gameplay, he says, When everything is said and done, Electrocop is a real-time action-adventure game presented in a three-dimensional view. Each level of the warehouse is a maze, with drones and weapons to be destroyed and exits to be found. You are initially equipped with a laser gun, but can find more powerful weapons throughout the game. Many of the passages contain computer-locked armored doors, which are opened when the proper security code is given. Computer terminals also allow you to repair wounds, fix damaged weapons, search for security codes, or play simple video games to pass the time. That's the entire game, and that's the problem. Electrocop is fairly limited in its gameplay. 
the only real adventuring aspects are in opening doors and exploring the levels. There are weapons to find and enemies to fight, but most of them can be defeated by simply firing like mad. Worse, there is little randomness to the game. The layouts of the levels and the combinations to the doors never change, making this title very prone to memorization. Most of the time with this title will be spent constantly mapping levels and cracking codes, and as with many adventure games, once Electrocop is solved, there is little incentive to play it again. Jung goes on and talks about the graphics and sound, and he says, Electrocop is played with a 3D perspective view shown as a camera that tracks you everywhere. This results in some of the most eye-popping effects ever seen in a video game. You run not only left and right, but also into and out of the action. An effect unduplicated in any other video game. Quality graphics are everywhere, from the detailed smooth scaling graphics to the cinematic sequences at the start and at the end of the game. The only problem is that your character is too large. You don't see enough to your left and right, producing a, quote, tunnel vision effect. Sounds are a little more mixed, but still impressive. Actual game sounds consist of explosions, weapons fire, and assorted bells and warning klaxons, all done nicely. What steals the show, though, is the music. There are a number of high-quality soundtracks from classical to rock, all capturing the intense tempo of the game itself. The futuristic title theme is especially catchy and runs throughout much of the game. In summary, this card was a brilliant concept that didn't completely click. The race against the clock and the real-time exploration combat elements are hampered with uninspired gameplay and little variety. Electrocop's stunning visuals and sounds make it fun to watch, but whether you'd buy a game for its razzle-dazzle is a personal decision. For gameplay, he gives it a rating of 6 out of 10, graphics 9 out of 10, sound 9 9 out of 10, and overall gives it a 7.5. Another review I found was by Jay DeLuna, which was posted on Game FAQs. He says that Electrocop is a game that could have been great but falls way short. He says in graphics, Electrocop has some of the best graphics you've ever seen, period. He says the sounds must be heard to be truly appreciated. The opening theme is an awesome mix of industrial rock and techno, and the same quality is evident in the level soundtracks. The sounds of laser blasts and the explosion effects when you knock off a cyborg virtually shake the links out of your hands. Everything fits perfectly. Five stars. In Control, he says, we run into some problems right here. And he talks again about the crouching and then jumping, which I never could master. Under Replay, he says, it's time to address what makes Electrocop fail. To progress in the game, you've got to crack the access codes to the level warps. But the only way to do that is to sit there and let your internal computer sort through every combination possible. Every combination. The access codes are all four-digit combinations, and it takes forever to sit there for each code. That alone kills the game. You can't go anywhere without the codes, and you can't get those codes unless you've got an hour to kill. Let's see, the whole point of a portable system is instant gratification. Overall, he gives it a 2.5 out of 5 rating, which makes it playable. Another review I found was on Moby Games. Some of the critic reviews on Moby Games... Zero gave it 86 out of 100. Joystick gave it 80 out of 100. The Games Machine in the UK gave it 79 out of 100. ASM, which I think is in Germany, gave it 9.4 out of 12. Playtime gave it 69 out of 100. Next Game gave it 6.4 out of 10. Interface gave it 58 out of 100. And Powerplay gave it 38 out of 100. That's an average of 69 out of 100, which is, when you think about it, a high D. There was a little bit of trivia on the Moby Games site about Electrocop, though. It says that Atari was planning to release a different Electrocop game for the Atari 7800 console. The development was handled by outside contractors. While the game is said to have been finished, a prototype has yet to be found as of September of 2014. However, artwork that Amy Hennig, who was a developer at the time, did for the game has appeared on the internet. So who knows, one day they'll find a port of Electrocop for the Atari 7800. The next review I want to read a little bit of it came from Gama Sutra, and it was written by Ron Alpert. One of the things he says about Electrocop is, Here was a game which really polarized players. Well, the ones who actually saw it. This was among the first titles released for the Atari Lynx, which launched in the same period as Nintendo's 8-bit Game Boy. While the Game Boy was sporting titles like Mario Land and Alleyway at its launch, Lynx was showing off extremely complicated looking and visually arresting titles such as the Afterburner-esque Blue Lightning and this game. 
Electrocop. Aesthetically, there was no comparison. The Game Boy games looked absolutely prehistoric compared to the powerful Lynx titles. Of course, history has proven that it takes more than good looks to win a system war. And we all know how that turned out. The last paragraph of his review, which by the way was written in 2010, says, Electrocop was an excellent idea followed up with some dynamite aesthetic and ultimately misguided execution. It was an experimental game released during a critical time, and though it was very impressive and an incredible showcase for the new system it was on, it was ultimately a reminder that a game needs some very solid planning and forethought to be considered enjoyable in the long term, rather than just relying on gimmicks. There's a review of Electrocop from 2013. This is from Obsolete Gamer. One paragraph that stuck out for me was, It's quite clear that Electrocop was always intended as a launch game. Technically, it's mighty impressive and shows off the Lynx talents well. The music is unmistakably Lynx-ish, but the various tunes are terrific and the graphics aren't half bad either. The circuit board and metallic backgrounds on each level are decent, although there's very little variation but it scales the stages back and forth very nicely, even altering the color of the droids according to the plane they're on compared to you. The main character is pretty big though, and moves fairly quickly too, which means you've often walked into danger before you've even seen it, whether one of the many droids or an increasingly common and annoying section of electrified floor. The easiest solution to do this is to just run along permanently shooting. That kind of takes the enjoyment out of it somewhat, but it's that or get angry and often. One thing that could have really ruined this game is regenerating enemies, so I was very pleased to find that the metallic cretins here explode when shot, and with their constituent atoms remaining scattered for good. Even with this bonus, though, it's unfortunately far from perfect. Playing it either takes the form of a repetitive run-and-gunner, or a frustrating arcade adventure depending on how you play it. It was originally intended as a 3D sequel to Impossible Mission, and it's quite clear why, but it's also clear why Epics ultimately decided to disassociate Electrocop from their legendary franchise as well. There are some good ideas here, and its technical wizardry must have made people eager to see more of the links when viewed at trade shows and such, but as a full game warranting hours of solid play, sadly, it falls some way short of the mark, and the reviewer gives it a rating of 6 out of 10. Only one more review that I'd like to highlight is by Verzu Chase in 3YRL.com. The conclusion that Verzu says is, While there are obvious flaws given this being a launch title as well as being an early attempt at creating a full-fledged third-person action game, on portable game hardware no less, the game completely knocked it out of the park and still holds up well today. The game is inspired by multiple sci-fi movies, and one that I can think of is Robocop, and creates a world that can suck you into the action. Back then, this is the first time where you heard realistic sound effects, a pseudo-3D gameplay style, and story seamlessly thrown together in the same game. Even today, it is a standout title that is good not only for a challenge, but to really see how far ahead of its time it was. While after two playthroughs you may take a break due to a lack of randomly generated levels, and sometimes the jump controls are a bit iffy, the game for the most part runs like a charm. Having many games to play is also a nice surprise as well. And Verzu gives it a rating of 4.5 out of 5. So you can see that generally the reviews are pretty mixed. Some people liked it, some people didn't like it. I'm right in the middle on that. I would give it 3 stars out of 5. I did find it repetitive. I also found the fact that you have to wait for the codes to be generated by the icebreaker program to be somewhat problematic. But I do enjoy the graphics and I very much enjoy the music. The cartridge rarity at Atari Age for Electrocop is for the flat cart 5, which is rare, for the ridged cart 6, which is rare plus, and for the curved lip cart 4, which is scarce plus. AtariGamer.com also has a rarity score for all Atari Lynx games. The rarity score at AtariGamer.com is an indicator of how easy or difficult it is to find a specific game title. Lower scores mean the game is readily available, whereas Higher scores indicate that a game will be challenging to find. The rarity score is based on a number of data points. These include price data for cart, boxed, and new versions of a game. It also includes other collectors' perceived rarity scores, as well as other factors deemed relevant based on my personal research. This is from Igor at AtariGamer.com. 
The maximum theoretical rarity score is 100, however none of the listed games have had that assigned. And the scale goes like this, a rating of 1 to 9 is banal, which means everyone and their dog has this and it's not worth the time. A rarity score of 10 to 19 is abundant, which means it's readily available but getting a little more interesting. 20 to 29 is common, which means it's a little harder to find and starting to get some value. 30 to 39 is uncommon, starting to get difficult to find, but still accessible. 40 to 49 is in demand, not easy to find at the usual places. Grab it if you see it. 50 to 59 is coveted, not seen often, hard to find, very valuable. 60 to 69 is rare, which means it's very hard to find, dedicated collectors only. 70 to 79 is rare plus one, extremely hard to find, hardcore collectors want it. 80 to 89 is rare plus two, which means it's impossible to find, prepare to sell your firstborn for it. And 90 to 99 is a rare plus three, which means it's rumored existence, is it even real? The rarity for Electrocop on AtariGamer.com for the flat cartridge is 27, which means it's common. For ridged, it's 31, which means it's uncommon. And for the curved lip, it's 23, which means it's common. The world record high score for Electrocop, according to HighScore.com, was set on August 29th of last year, 2017, and it was set by Swaggers. His score was 453,534. I also have an Electrocop cheat for you. This is from the Lynx Hint book, which was published by Atari in 1993 for Lynx game developers. The cheat actually says, to select the levels, turn off the sound at the title screen. Hold the joypad up and left at the same time. Keep tapping both A and B buttons until it says level 1 instead of now teleporting to level 1. Then use the joypad to select the level. I have not tried that yet. I guess I need to. Also in this hints book were the codes that allow you to open the doors in Electrocop. There are three codes listed for level 1, two for level 2, five codes listed for level 3, one code listed for level 4, eight codes listed for level 5, one code listed for level 6, and two codes listed for level 7, one code listed for level 8, nine codes listed for level 9, one code listed for level 11, and two codes listed for level 12. Obviously, they don't have all of them. I'm not going to read the codes out to you, but you can access the PDF of the book in the links links in the show notes. And remember to look on pages 34 through 36. Link's sound quality is so good, it makes every game seem more realistic. Atari Links, the portable video arcade. eBay prices. On eBay, the loose cart single, there were 10 of them sold in the last 90 days. Uh, they range in price from $8.01 up to $15.98. That's an average of $12.25 for a single loose cart. For loose cart sold in a lot, there were four lots sold over the last 90 days. They range in price from $13.50 to $69.99, the average being $39.14. For a carton manual combo sold in a lot, there was one sold at $52.50. CIB single copies, there were five of them sold, ranging in price from $12.30 to $49.99 for an average of $21.99. There were two single manuals sold for Electrocop in the last 90 days. They sold for $2.40 and $4.88 for an average of $3.64. There was one single empty carton sold for $12.95. listen to feedback okay let's move on into some feedback on the facebook page for atari links handicast ricardo pipas wrote in thank you for reading out my post on the blue lightning episode i'm now up to 44 games as i have been buying the cheaper ones to fill the collection i am now looking at the more expensive games so the collecting will slow but not stop episode 01 was great and very informative Keep up the great work, and what is the next title for Zero Two? And I wrote back, Hi Ricardo, first of all, congrats on getting to 44 games. I'm also at 44, and most of the 28 remaining games I need are priced on eBay at $30 or more, sometimes much more, 
for CIB copies, which is what I only collect. So, like you, I'll have to slow down on my purchasing. Luckily for the podcast, I only need four more games for this year's episodes. Xenophobe, Robo Squash, Road Blasters, and World Class Fussball Soccer. I imagine that last one will be the hardest one to get, no matter the price. Anyhow, I'm really glad you enjoyed Episode 01, Blue Lightning. The next episode will be 02, Electro Cop. Again, thanks for listening, Ricardo, and good luck in your search for Lynx games. By the way, is your last name pronounced Pipas, Pippas, or Peepas? And his last name is spelled P-I-P-A-S. He wrote back, I will play some Electro Cop as I never have in the past and share my thoughts. My name is Pipas, but call me Pipes. Thank you for your response. And I wrote back, No problem, Ricardo. Thanks for the guidance on pronouncing your name. And I think you'll really like Electrocop. Later on, I wrote, Atari Lynx Handicast, get your feedback in for episode 02, Electrocop, right now. Do it today. Yeah, today. Or tomorrow. Or soon. Or whenever you can. Thanks, Mark. And in response to that, Bobby Idod Moore wrote, Not feedback as such, but I am laid on my bed with a kitten on my crotch while I play the game on my Mark II. And he posted a beautiful photo of a cute little kitten, black with a white bib and white underside, and he's staring over a Lynx too. Very nice, Bobby. Thanks. I also got a comment from Luca Benzoni, and it was in German. It was very short, and my German is very bad. In fact, non-existent, but I'll try anyway. Elektrokop hat sehr einen guten. Soundtrack, which basically means Electrocop has a good soundtrack. Yes, Luca, I would definitely agree with that. I love the soundtrack to this game. And thank you so much for your feedback. On to Twitter. I got a few comments when I posted that the Blue Lightning episode was available. Bill Kendrick of the Atari Party in Davis, California every year wrote, Did I hear LX Rudis' name in literally episode one? Of course I did, smiley face. And in response to that... LXKH wrote back and said, Sigh, out it again. Thanks, Bill. By the way, rooting around, I found YouTube vid of your Linux Clax version. I know the source is lost, but have you considered reauthoring? Asking for a friend. And I wrote in response to LXKH, Don't worry, Mr. R. S. Your secret is safe with me. I can't speak for my followers, though. Cujo at 86Cujo on Twitter wrote, just caught zero zero episode. Looking forward to this journey. Long live the Lynx. Atari Gamer wrote, Shout out to Mark for the Lynx Handicast. Awesome show. Check it out. Thanks so much, Atari Gamer. And please, again, check out his awesome website, atarigamer.com. I got a tweet from my oldest friend, Howard, in Texas. He wrote, Didn't know you got a McWill. Cool. You need to YouTube it sometime so I can see it. And I wrote back, Yep, got it at the Atlanta Historical Computing Society meeting last month. A member there had her Lynx 2 modded last year, sent it to McWill himself, then decided to get out of collecting Lynx and into restoring an Altair 8800. I got it and a few games for a very good price. Ryan Haas on Twitter tweeted, I'm still waiting for my modded links to arrive. I want to play the games along with the podcast. And I wrote in response, Love that idea. By the way, I would not have been able to get this score without the McWill screen. And I'm referring to my high score on Gates of Zendokan a few days ago. You'll love the difference. And he wrote back, I can't wait. I've only played Batman Returns via emulation years ago and a couple of games on my links after I purchased it a few months ago but quickly put it down and sprang for the McWill screen. Atari Gamer wrote in response, I love this game, but I play it on my modded SNES Classic Mini with the handy emulator installed. It also lets you save state. And Ryan Haas wrote, That's nuts. I have an EverDrive for the Game Boy and already have the Lynx flash cart. I want to experience as much as I can now on real hardware first. In a later tweet, Ultra Magnus wrote, I'm going to try hard to go to VCFSE. It's close, and I've been wanting to go for a couple of years now. Uh, for those who don't know, the VCFSE is the Vintage Computer Festival Southeast 6.0 this year. It'll be April 21 through 22. I will be there with my TI-99-4A setup, and I'll also have my links with me. So please come by. And I retweeted to Ultra Magnus. Please go. I'd love to meet all of my Twitter followers and thank them personally. That's it for Twitter for this episode. 
I do have two audio submissions for Electrocop. The first one is by Curtis Herod, also known as Cujo at 86Cujo on Twitter. Let's hear what he has to say. Oh, you want to talk Electrocop? <laughs> I mean, early Atari Lynx, you had the packing game, California games, no narrative. You had another winner like Blue Lightning. Um, that plot was mostly your imagination. Um, for me, it was, uh, you know, late night bombing runs over his tanks and stingers, if you can appreciate that. But then along comes Electrocop, uh, written by Greg Omi. I would say probably one of the bigger conspiracy influences in my young life, uh, right, right up there with uh, Choose Your Own Adventures. Um, I know we can all see that snappy intro. Uh, you got the Megacorp skyline with ships zipping in and out. It was almost too good to be true. Uh, but now, kind of for me, it's about the writing. Uh, I remember back in the day, Greg Omi did an interview, said that that time at Epics was kind of like the renaissance for him and his team. That makes sense, because you can see it on screen in Electrocop. You know, I could beef about some of the controls. They were blocky. But, I mean, this is a game about Megacorp that not only wants to sell the world, but own it. You know, that, that kind of reads like a Rod Serling script, don't it? Uh, and on top of that, you got the Mandela effect in uh, Electrocop's three versions of its box uh, that it came in. The, the last, with the grown-up daughter on it, uh, good luck finding even an image of it on the Internet. But I know in your mind we can still see it. So, you know, I raised a glass to Greg and his team. Uh, it's a game where at the end, the opponent is you. <laughs> uh, that's pretty damn woke. Uh, I loved Electrocop. Uh, cheers, guys. Thank you very much for that audio submission, Curtis. I really appreciate it. Uh, yes, uh, you're right. California Games really has no narrative. Blue Lightning doesn't have much of a narrative. Uh, but Electrocop certainly does have a lot. So thanks for pointing that out. I find it interesting that you refer to choose your own adventures as a big conspiracy influence on your life. I never would have guessed that for anyone. I like that you brought up the snappy intro to Electrocop. Uh, the cutscenes and the screen crawl are certainly eye-popping. I really enjoy them. Also, your reference to Rod Serling made me realize that perhaps the story of Megacorp trying to sell and own the world would make a pretty good Twilight Zone episode. I could certainly see that happening. Uh, you referenced this box with a grown-up daughter. Um, I've never seen this box. If any of my listeners have a copy of this apparently rare box, then please take a picture and share it with everyone. I'd really appreciate seeing that. I like that you love Electrocop, Curtis. Uh, I'm not in that camp, really. I like it, but I don't love it. I, I really don't think it's as good a pick-up-and-play game, even though it is just a 60-minute game, as uh, a lot of later games on the links. But to each his own. Your mileage may vary. Thank you so much for the audio submission, Curtis. I also got an audio submission from Shinto of the Atari Jaguar Game by Game podcast. Here's what he has to say. When showing off the links to my friends, I really tried to get them interested in Electrocop. You know, when you're really impressed by something, you tend to want to show it off. And Electrocop impressed the heck out of me. It totally didn't work, though, with my friends. Maybe the game was too different. I mean, how many other games at the time broke that fourth wall, as it were? But I was rather taken with the game myself from the very first time I booted it up. The intro screen had a cinematic flair to it, and the music. Um, Alex Rudis did the music for this one, right? And it kind of goes without saying that Alex Rudis is the man when it comes to music on the links. So, of course, it'd be fantastic, and it is. The scaling graphics look great, and I'd have to think that this game was designed specifically with the Lynx's hardware capabilities in mind. I think the way they did walls and objects in the foreground with a light-colored outline, I think that worked well. I never had any trouble figuring out what was in the foreground, and the game in general seems pretty forgiving when it comes to Z-axis collision detection. I liked how the computer consoles not only contained different music, but they had a directory structure to navigate, and included a couple mini-games as well, which was back, I think, before anybody was using the term mini-games. Uh, what does it say when you beat one of them? I seem to remember it saying, you win, big deal. So the game is great to look at and listen to, but playing it, I 
I, I don't think the gameplay quite lives up to the graphics and sound. Some of the jumping puzzles as you get deep into the game it weren't much fun at all, trying to avoid those glowing red tiles, and you have to really watch your pixels sometimes. There's a small margin of error that will tend to bite you from time to time. And I can't say I'm too crazy about the motion of your character. I get that he's some sort of partially robotic law enforcement officer, but he seems so stiff. It's actually kind of funny when you lose your gun, but he's still holding his forearm out at a 90 degree angle. I did sit down a few times in honest attempts to beat this game in the early 90s. I really did want to save the president's daughter. I sat down armed with door codes that either I wrote down or later that I found in a magazine. But as the timer continued to count down, the frustration rose, trying to line up just right to take out a target or make a jump. And when wall cannons are blasting you and you're trying to make a tricky jump, miss and hit a red tile chain reaction that knocks you way back and maybe ends up destroying a weapon or two, yeah, frustrating. This was not a game that I was able to beat. In the end, I always ended up as a mysterious pile of blue powder. What a way to go. I think the reason my friends didn't seem to care about this game is that, number one, the extra dimension, the 3D aspect, can take a little getting used to. And number two, it's not really a pick-up-and-play sort of game like Blue Lightning or California Games or some of the others who we'll be getting into later. Personally, I think that of all the Lynx games out there, this is one of the Lynxiest, uh, designed for and making great use of the hardware. But in spite of all that it has going for it, which is all the more impressive given the small ROM size, uh, 128 kilobytes, you can't even fit the front page of Google in 128 kilobytes. In spite of all that, Electrocop is just not a game that I really find myself coming back to. Well, thank you, Shinto, for that. I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts on Electrocop. I think you're probably right that Electrocop is a good game to impress your friends. I have a feeling that this game was in mind when they created the Lynx and that the Lynx was in mind when they created the game. Uh, after all, they're both epics. Uh, and it's certainly a good showcase for the graphics and the music and the sound. I like that you brought out the fact that Electrocop breaks the fourth wall for the 3D effect. Uh, that is certainly true. Uh, that's pretty much what they had to do with the limitations of any of the systems back then, but it's still it's quite ingenious how they did that. Uh, you did reference the LX Rudis music, and how could you not? It's great. Uh, I really enjoy the music that LX Rudis does for all the Lynx games, but especially for this one. Uh, you mentioned the big deal comment for the mini games whenever you finish playing one of them. Uh, I actually thought at first when I was playing this that uh, when I would be playing the game it was part of trying to get the door open. I didn't realize till later that it actually is just there to while away the time while you wait for the icebreaker to open the door for you. So when I first saw the big deal comment after playing one of the mini games I of course felt a little bit let down. It's pretty snarky. Uh, the playability of the game is uh, a little problematic. Uh, I agree. I had trouble jumping. Most of the other movements that I did, I didn't really have any trouble with. Even with the white tiles or the red tiles, I just kind of ignored them. But the jumping, I never could master. And finally, uh, the statement you made about Electrocop being a bit stiff. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've been playing the game thinking that I still had a weapon when I really didn't because his hand was still sticking out. That's probably not something I really should admit. But I probably also shouldn't admit that most of the time when I play this game, I don't get more than one or two levels before I become myself a mysterious pile of blue powder. <laughs> That's a good phrase. Shinto, thank you so much for your audio submission. As always, all of my listeners should check out his great Atari Jaguar Game by Game podcast. Even if you don't own or know what a Jaguar is, it's a lot of fun to listen to. Thanks so much, Shinto. Finishing up. Well, my fellow Lynxians, that's it for this episode of the Atari Lynx Handicast. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate all the feedback and all the support that you've given me starting this podcast out. Coming up episodes include episode 03, Rampage. After that, episode 04, Gates of Zendokan. Episode 05 will be Gauntlet, The Third Encounter. Episode 06 will be California Games. And episode 07 will be The Fidelity Ultimate Chess Challenge. Please join me, won't you?
Leaving so soon? Thanks are in order for Game Chops at GameChops.com for graciously allowing the song Spider Dance by Holder to be used as the opening and closing theme music for the Atari Lynx Handicast. Thanks are also in order for the free music archive, which allowed for the following songs and artists to be used in this episode of the Atari Lynx Handicast under the Creative Commons license. Swayed by John Luke Hefferman, A Tourist in His Hometown by Zero V, Matriculate Yo by Throck, and Eve by Jazar. I would also like to thank Ferg of the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast, Shinto of the Atari Jaguar Game by Game podcast, and Zerby of the many Zerbinator Land podcasts, including the excellent Please Stand By podcast. The help and inspiration that Ferg, Shinto, and Zerby have provided in my brief podcasting experience are invaluable to me, and I really appreciate it. Finally, I would also like to give my heartfelt thanks to my beautiful wife, Lizzie. She's put up with me in this strange podcasting thing with the patience of a saint, and I could never fully repay her, but I will definitely try. That's not snap, snap, grin, grin, wink, wink, sign them all. Episodes of the Atari Lynx Handycast can be found on Apple Podcasts. Please take time to leave a review of the Atari Lynx Handycast on Apple Podcasts so that other interested listeners can easily find the Handycast. You can also find the Atari Lynx Handycast on Stitcher, on Google Play Music, and on TuneIn. While you're at it, be sure to check out the Atari Lynx Handycast website at atarilynxhandycast.net. All of the episodes can be found there, including show notes and a list of upcoming episodes. And you can visit the Atari Lynx Handicast blog page at atarilynxhandicast.blogspot.com. Also, you can subscribe to the Atari Lynx Handicast on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash Handicast. And you can follow the Atari Lynx Handicast on Twitter. Just search on Twitter for Lynx Handicast. Finally, you can send Mark Little an email and let him know what you think about any episode of the Atari Lynx Handicast. You can also provide your own feedback about any Atari Lynx games. And you can even suggest future topics or possible interview subjects for future episodes. Or you can just simply say, hi. Just write to him at mark at atarilynxhandicast.net. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Atari Lynx Handicast. This is Montague Habersham wishing you a good evening. The Atari Lynx Handicast is made possible by a grant from the Telesearch Group and by the generous support of listeners like you. Thank you.